Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today from the Old Testament lesson, 1 Kings. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly and leaders of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and prayed, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below, you who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You've kept your promise to your servant. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it. Dear friends of Christ, there's a mother and daughter, and they were on the, the west coast, uh, side of California. They saw one of the largest creatures, that, well, the largest creature that swims in the ocean, the blue whale. And when they saw it, they were amazed at its size and its beauty, and the one mother turned to the other mother and said, isn't, isn't God an incredible God to make such a magnificent creature? Look what the Lord has made. Well, the man standing next to them took exception to the comment and said, and wanted to make sure that he let them know that indeed God did not make the whale. In fact, God did not make all things at all. In fact, we are all merely products of time, chance, and evolution. A Christian college student is sitting in her science class listening to her professor teach about evolution. She believes that God made the world in six days out of nothing simply by the power of his spoken word, called everything into existence. However, she's forced to listen to her professor teach evolution as he seeks to prove to her that her God does not exist. Differing views like this happen all the time. And it's nothing new. In our epistle lesson, we talked about another gospel, another way of salvation through man's obedience. That if we just make ourselves holy enough, God can love us. All we have to do is lift up our britches, pull up our boots and bootstraps, and just be better, be better people so God can love us. Differing views like this happen all the time. The evolutionists claim that they're being scientific. They claim that we people of we're just people of faith. They can prove what they believe. We just believe what we believe because, well, we just believe it. We're so foolish, you see. But they can't prove evolution any more than we can prove that God exists. And I want to tell you that their theory as to how all things came into existence is just as difficult to believe as ours. But there's a problem. We are here. They believe that we all came from a dense rock. Really, a Big Bang. Well, we believe everything came from an all-powerful God, an all-knowing, all-powerful Creator. And we confess that. We believe that our Christian worldview is different than all the other belief systems of the world. And that this Creator not only made all things, but He loves us enough to send His only begotten Son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's a faithful and loving God. And our sermon theme reflects God's faithfulness. God keeps his loving promises. Our Old Testament lesson today is is about King Solomon standing at the altar of the Lord in the new temple. They're dedicating the temple. The Lord hasn't entered into it yet. It's, It's just brand spanking new. And so here they are, because the Israelites wanted a place where they could worship God. They wanted a place where they knew they could find God, because it's so disconcerting to people of faith to, to know that there's a God out there, but you don't know where He is. And they wanted a place where the glory of the Lord would dwell, and they could say, well, we don't know where He is, but we know He's right there. And God said, no, no, I don't want a temple I'm with you always, I'll always be with you, and I'll always keep my promise. And the people said, we want a place. So God let them build them a temple. King Solomon built that temple in which the glory of the Lord would dwell. And by doing so, by building a temple to God, King Solomon was sharing a worldview. This building is set And this temple is a representation of God among us so that the nations can look and know there is a real God, a God who comes to save his people, a God who keeps his promises, and a God who loves us. Listen to Solomon's prayer at the temple, at the the, uh, temple dedication. As he stood before all the leaders, he lifted up his hands in prayer. O Lord, God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You keep your covenant, your promise, your testament, your vow, your contract. You keep your promise of love with your servants, and you've kept your promise. So Solomon stood before the altar, before the altar in the temple. He didn't stand before the entrance of the, of the temple. He didn't stand in the court where all the people gathered. He went to the altar. And he stood at the altar and he prayed. This altar. This place where all the animal sacrifices would be taken. This place where the animal blood would be spilled and then the animal flesh would be burned on the altar. Symbolic. As you heard the animals bleeding and the sight of blood and the smell of animal flesh, it all pointed to a sacrifice that's coming, to a greater sacrifice. But God would have to keep his promise. God would have to send a Messiah and that one day Jesus would come to give his life to save us all from our sins and from God's wrath. The book of Hebrews says that these sacrifices were but a shadow of the thing that was to come. And the fulfillment was Christ. These sacrifices pictured how Jesus would, by His blood, enter into heaven, into the very presence of God, and by His blood, offer His blood as a payment, as a ransom for our sin. And that's why Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, 
and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And Solomon prayed, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below, for you keep your covenant of love with your servants. You continue wholeheartedly in your way. Solomon did not pray for, to, to some nebulous spirit in the sky. Oh God, whoever you are, Oh God, whatever you are. No, he prayed to the faithful, true, and only God, saying, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. There is no other God. That's what Solomon believed. That's what Solomon believed. He believed that God is a real person. He believed that God loves His faithful and yet fallen and sinful people that are condemned because of their behavior. That He loved them enough to send a son who would deliver them because God would keep His promises. The blood would be shed because God always keeps His promises. King Solomon believed that God would send the Messiah and remember, this is before the Messiah ever came on the scene. King Solomon believed the Messiah would come to save us all from sin and death. Solomon believed. And you believe it too. You share the same worldview with King Solomon, don't you? There is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. There is no God who would send a son himself to bleed for the people, to die for the people. To win the people back by his blood. And King Solomon saw all this. And he was willing to serve that God. He was willing to obey that God. He was willing to learn about that God. Because he was faithful. Because he's the one who kept his promises. And that's what people of faith do. On this side of Pentecost, that's what we do. We learn of the faithfulness and the love and the sacrifice of the Lord and we learn about Him and we obey Him and we learn about His commandments and we follow in those commandments. We're disciples. And when we fall into sin and when, when our faith stumbles, we flee to the Lord for His mercy and we let Him wash and cleanse every spot and stain that would condemn our souls to hell. And he's faithful. And he keeps his promises. And that's what you believe. You believe that God has rescued you. That God has delivered you by his blood. That Jesus died and rose again to save you. To free you from sin. And you pray, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. For you keep your covenant of love with your servants. <laughs> but do you believe, do you know, do you realize that what you believe runs contrary to what the rest of the world confesses and believes? Do you realize that your worldview is different? You believe that Jesus said a very exclusive statement. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And of course, you also join Peter who made this exclusive claim. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then St. John gives this vision in Revelation of all the people, before all the saints of God, before the throne of God, before the altar of God. And they're all wearing robes of white and saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation is not found in other religions. Salvation is not even found in us. Salvation is found in God. And if you express openly that salvation is only found in Christ, and you express that openly, well, you just be prepared to be ridiculed and shamed because the world does not believe what you believe. They do not confess what you confess, that there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. Consider the, the great artwork of Michelangelo. He sculpted that, that great marble masterpiece of Mary holding her son after he had died on the cross, her dead son. And I can only imagine Michelangelo there with that big block of marble before it ever started before he even began to take the, the, start to chip away, what kind of vision it took to make something so stunning, so profound, so beautiful. Michelangelo, who laid on his back for years painting the Sistine Chapel, something so beautiful, so remarkable, so lifelike. Well, God took his creation, made it out of nothing, called the universe into existence by the power of his word, and he made that universe magnificent and beautiful, a wonderful piece of art without sin, and we ruined his artwork, we destroyed his masterpiece. But that didn't stop the Lord, no. He's too great an artist to be thwarted by sin, death, and the devil, such a great artist has a plan. All great artists do. And so consider the careful planning that went in. When Adam and Eve fell into sin and the world was destroyed, for God to keep his promise, for God to keep his people, to send a Savior. Think about how God had to mold history, how he had to shape history despite all opposition, despite all the unfaithfulness, despite the unfaithfulness of his very own people. But God didn't give up when we were unfaithful. He pressed on. He continued with his promise so that we may live. I want you to think what the words must have meant to Jesus then when he hung upon the cross, and he said, it's finished. It's finished. There were no sins left to be unpaid. King Solomon had it right. There is no God in our world, in the heaven above or on the earth below, like our only true God, who not only designed salvation for us, but so beautifully, so magnificently carried out that design so perfectly. And I would never 
even begin to think that I could help out an artist like Michelangelo. I'd just make everything a mess. I certainly would never dare to think that I could help out the great artist of our Lord who created the universe and designed and created salvation for me so perfectly. I have nothing to offer God. I simply believe. And even the Bible says the Holy Spirit gives me the power so that I can say Jesus Christ saves me. That comes from the power of the Holy Spirit too. I, I have nothing that I can offer. I can't offer anything to God, the great architect of the universe, the great engineer who designed and figured out how to fix the brokenness of this world and sin and death. I have nothing to offer except what the Bible says of my own soul that flows from the human heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimonies and slanders. <laughs> yes, Solomon prayed. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You keep your covenant, your vow, your promise, your testament, your, your contract of love with your servants. Your worldview is the same as King Solomon. Your worldview is the same as that is Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And that's why you're here to worship, and that's why you're here to learn, and that's why you're here to know His commandments, and that's why you're willing to obey, and that's why you're willing to follow in His way. He loves you. And He's faithful. And He keeps His promises. God's faithfulness is why you look at your neighbors differently. And you look at them and you want them to come to church. You want them to come to the temple. You want them to know the Savior, Jesus Christ, and be saved. It's why you look at your grandchildren and your children differently. And your great-grandchildren, because you too, the greatest desire of your heart is for them to know Jesus Christ and His love and be saved and live forever with Him. And we want the whole world to know to pray, to come, to worship to find salvation in Christ. And yes, Solomon's prayer is your prayer. Solomon's worldview is your worldview. And Solomon's Savior is your Savior. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.